Our passage this morning comes out of Luke 24, verses 13 to 32. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some of our women, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back, saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is God's word. Amen. You may have a seat. John Lennon got a generation and beyond singing, all you'd need is love. Love is essential, and you've heard that from the pulpit. It's to be foundational to our lives because it's foundational to the God who created us. It's essential in our lives that it drive everything in our lives. But when we say all you need is love, I'd say no if you mean Love from the heart. Because we need to love not only with the heart, but we need to also love with the mind. I love my sons. If one of them, say when they were younger, we got a report that said he was allergic to peanuts. And I looked at that report and I disregarded it and said, I love my son. Everybody else at school gets peanut butter and jelly. I'm going to give my son peanut butter and jelly. I could say I love him with my heart, but without loving him with my mind, I create a dangerous scenario. If I had a daughter who was in a, a bad accident or was gravely ill, I wouldn't rush her to her grandparents to get all loved up. I would rush her to the hospital or to the doctor who had the knowledge of how to fix her. It is not enough to love with the heart. 
We need to love with our minds. If we love only with our hearts, we can be misguided, we can mislead others, and we can create dangerous scenarios. Jesus himself said to the religious leaders, you search for converts, but you make them twice the sons of hell as yourselves. Why? Because they did not know enough about Jesus to love, not with their hearts, but with all their minds. Let's pray. Our Father, may you meet us today, certainly in our minds, by, by renewing our minds with the truth of your Scripture. But may that truth enter into our hearts and stir us to be united with your heart, which is a heartbeat of love, but a love with wisdom and understanding. In Christ, we pray and ask your spirit to minister to us today. Amen. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And his reply was to quote the Shema in the verses that followed it. It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. Now, the Jewish people would recite the Shema twice a day. Jesus, in his answer, wisely gave them the Shema and the verses that followed to call them to love. Only Jesus added something. The Shema says, love God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Jesus added, and love him with all your mind. So why does he add that at this time? And the reason is the context of what is happening is the religious leaders of the day are challenging Jesus. And they're asking all sorts of questions that they're hoping to trap Jesus with. And what Jesus observes is they may say they love God, but they're not using their minds as they love God because they have not opened themselves to the miracles of Jesus, which has proven who he is, the wisdom that Jesus has unfolded in his teaching. They have not been knocked over by the answers that he's given or seen what the other people said. No one speaks with such authority as this one. They have turned off their minds to everything that Jesus is teaching. And because of that, they are missing God himself. The Apostle Paul says it in Romans. He says, Brother, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And so the religious leaders would have zeal. They might say, I love God with my heart. But Paul says their downfall, what keeps them from God himself, is they are living not according to knowledge. They don't know Christ for who he is. And the result is that they have followed a path of error that leads to legalism. I'm going to be saved by works. And Paul says, no, it is all about the gospel of grace. And so you may try to love us,
but you are not loving us with your mind. How do we love God with our minds? There's many directions we could take in this message today. There's much scripture says about it. But I chose the passage today because it brings out at least three elements of what it means to love God with all our mind. It means that we need to renew our minds. It needs, means that we need to not just know about God, but we have to know God personally. And thirdly, we have to allow the knowledge that we have about God to enter into our hearts, to burn in our hearts, and to warm our hearts. So first, we need to renew our minds. As we look at this journey of the two disciples, we see men who are depressed. They're really sad about what has taken place. And yet what has just taken place is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They should be bounding down the pathway with the greatest joy, and yet they are depressed. Why? They, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the Old Testament very well, much better than we know the Old Testament. They sat under Jesus' teaching. All of it, he said what was going to happen. He said who he was, what was going to happen to him. He was going to rise from the dead. They even heard the te- about the testimony of the women who went to the tomb and said, the angel says, he's risen. And yet they're depressed. Why? It's because their worldview would not allow them to believe what had just happened. You see, in their religious worldview, resurrection was going to take place at the last day, at the end of time. And so there was no category in their brains for Jesus could actually be raised gloriously in time-space history. Have you ever wondered why the disciples didn't believe why they struggled so much. Even Thomas, after the 11 disciples said he's risen, there is no category in their brains because their religious worldview said this cannot happen. And the second reason is their cultural view said you do not trust the testimony of women. It's not valid in the law court. So the women may have said it, but we can't, we have to put that aside. And so what had blocked them was their failure to understand. So when Jesus confronts them, what is the first words? Oh, foolish ones. Your, your heart's so slow to believe because you got stuck in a wrong mindset. You have to break through that worldview. Paul said it this way, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You see, we each live in a culture just like they did that gives us colored glasses through which to see our world. And if we take those glasses, there are many things of truth that we are not going to accept. And we might end up loving God with our hearts, but we won't be loving Him with our mind. Two of the most predominant worldviews today that are keeping people from accepting Christianity for truly what it is are scientism and expressive individualism. Now, scientism, I quote, is the view that empirical science constitutes the most authoritative worldview or most valuable part of human learning to the exclusion 
of other viewpoints. I think it could be captured in an example with my younger brother. Uh, someone here actually sh- was trying to share the gospel with him and said, do you believe in Jesus? And my brother's response was, I believe in science. And that's scientism. I believe in science and what science can prove. And the problem with science is it cannot prove miracles. You can't take Jesus into a lab and see if you could resurrect him from the dead again. And so scientism cuts itself off from truths that can be proved in other ways, say through history. The other problem with scientism is that it addresses the physical world, but it misses an entire world of the spirit because it can't take the spirit into the lab. So scientism immediately says Jesus could not be resurrected from the dead because people can't come back from the dead. Therefore, Christianity is to be rejected outright. We can't go into outer space and find God. Therefore, God does not exist. And yet we all know subjectively that there's an entire different world other than that, and that is the spirit world. Scientism really struggles with what's our purpose in life? What's the foundation of our values? Where do our morals come from? Why are we self-conscious? Why do we believe we're individuals? Scientism has a lot of trouble. And if we accept that view, it's going to conflict with Christianity, which is grounded in a historical event of Jesus' resurrection. And as N.T. Wright says, when you grasp the resurrection, it transforms your entire worldview. It certainly breaks through scientism and leads us into a spiritual dimension where we understand who we are, that there is a God, that that God loves us and has come down and entered into this world, who has given us purpose, who has given us the foundation for morals and values in our life, who has given us a future, who has given us reason to rejoice with hope and given us a reason to actually love other people. Scientism cannot give us that. The second predominant worldview is expressive individualism. And I quote here, expressive individualism basically holds that the person is there to fulfill oneself, to express oneself creatively, and thus leads others to their own self-fulfillment. And it goes on. It's a set of priorities that come to us through the media, through television, movies, advertising, and also today through internet, Facebook, blogging, Twitter, among others. And what I'm saying is, it's about me and my self-fulfillment and my expression of myself so that the world knows I exist and who I am. Uh, This started developing in the 60s, so I can go back to a song with Sammy Davis Jr. 
I'm wondering how many of you remember this one. It starts off, whether I'm right or whether I'm wrong, whether I find a place in the sun or no place at all, I got to be me, I got to be me. What's that saying? And, and I love that song. And I said, that's it. I've got to be me. And there's certainly truth in that. The question is, who is me? Who am I? Uh, and it's just grown and grown and taken over our culture so that we hear the same words echoed by Elsa in the Frozen as she sings. I don't care what you're going to say. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Here I stand and here I stay. It's about me and everybody else. Their opinions don't matter at all. Now, the challenge that this view is to Christianity is that it makes life about me and not about God. And it's about what I want to believe and keeping away the other voices that are trying to tell me otherwise. Uh, One of the professors, Patrick Madigan, said this, expressive individualism holds that anything that constrains this expansion of self is to be rejected as parental abuse, psychological repression, or cultural imperialism. So essentially, if the parents are trying to direct kids' lives, that's parental abuse. You're trying to share words that help people see something like I'm doing today, you know, help you see, broader. that's psychological repression. And of course, Christianity, in the Christian culture, that would be cultural imperialism, as we try to share our views. Now, there are many good things about expressive individualism. We need to find ourselves. Paul himself says, do not be conformed to this world. No, don't let the world conform you to it. There are good things to it, but there are many problems with it as well. And that is, it is a very myopic view that makes me the center of my universe and makes everything else revolve around me. It doesn't understand how to define self. Who am I? Am I the greedy person that I feel in my heart? Am I the jealous person? Should I just let this all come out of me because that's who I am? Scripture, when you, when you gain God's perspective, you understand... The you is made in the image of God. And you become more you the closer you become to that image of God. So I look at my jealousy and I say, that's not a part of God. That's not who I was created to be. So I need to let the gospel enter into my life and, and get rid of, push jealousy out. Or greed, that's, that's very natural to me. But it's not me because I'm in the the image of God. I need the gospel to come in and push that out. So everything around you is feeding you and me with a whole worldview that says put these glasses on. And though there there are good things in science, there are good things in expressive individualism. But if you take the the eyes of God 
the divine perspective, the good things you will also see through God's eyes. Yes, science and truth is important and pursue it as a passion. Yes, God loves you and you are important. But the you who's made in the image of God cares about everything around you because that's why you were created out of God's love for you and that's why Jesus was sent because he was thinking of others. If you're made in the image of God, you start with God is wonderful and loves me and he values me and he treasures me and I find my identity in Christ. But what's going to flow out of me is I care about God and I care about you and I care about everyone in the church and I care about everyone outside the church. Now, that's the worldview that really resonates in our hearts, doesn't it? So, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We need to be aware of these things. But we need to be renewed and refreshed with the Word of God. Which means... We need to... We need to know God. You know, it's, I've heard this. I've heard this in churches. And that is, theology doesn't matter. What matters is if I follow the Bible. Okay. Isn't that important? If I, if I do what God says to do, then why, why do I need to be wrapped up in all this theology? See, one of the problems with that is if you do what God tells you to do, that's external. That's you taken from the outside. God says, be kind, and you go, well, God says to be kind, so I don't feel like being kind, but I'll be kind. But the difference of what God wants is if you know theology, if you know God, that enters inside of us. The Old Testament said, Jeremiah said, I'm going to write my laws on your heart. You see, God wants the laws in our hearts so that when I say, God says, be kind, it's not like, okay, I don't want to be kind. It's like, I want to be kind because I know my God and he has so worked in my heart. Kindness flows out of me. Isn't, you know, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness, kindness, gentleness. It comes out of us, not imposed upon us. But we need to know God to let him fashion our hearts through that knowledge. So many of the letters of Paul, the first part of the letters, it's theology. And then it it turns and says, therefore, now live this way. Look at Romans. The first 11 chapters of a Romans Romans are theology proper, anthropology, homartiology, uh, soteriology, some eschatology, and then in chapter 12 it says, therefore, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to him. You see, that's not external. Oh, I got a sacrifice. It's internalized when we get to know this God. Ephesians, first teaching tells us about God's eternal plan. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit brings in the church and then says, therefore, walk worthy of him. 
You know him. You walk him. Colossians exalts Christ for two chapters, lifting him up to the highest heights and says, we are complete in Christ. And then it says, so therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, set your mind on the things of Christ. Theology is very important to inform our insides so the Christian life flows out of it. But it's not also enough just to put theology in and go into the theology class. We need to live by it. We need to live by the word of God and let it nourish us. Psalm chapter 1 says, how blessed. So it's talking about the blessed, the happy, the fulfilled person. It's not go out and express yourself. It's planted. It's like the fulfilled person is like a tree planted by a stream. It's constantly being nourished. And what Psalm 1 says, the happy person does not get conformed to the world views. Don't walk in the path of sinners. And it says instead, meditate on the word of God day and night. Our world is throwing images at us day and night. We need to let the word of God be nurturing us day and night. So renew our minds. Secondly, know God. Not just know about God, but know God. Cleopas and the disciple are walking the road. Jesus confronts them and says, Oh, foolish disciples, you're so slow to learn. And what does he do? He opens the scriptures, it says. Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. See what Jesus is saying here? He doesn't just take the scriptures. They knew the scriptures. He takes it and gives them a new view of those scriptures that all of the scriptures are about Jesus himself. Why? Because Jesus wants us to get to know him. Not just history, not just what God did or might do or what God said, but he wants us to know him personally. In John Jesus said to the religious leaders, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you might have eternal life. It's they that bear witness about me. What Jesus is saying, he's saying, when you read the Bible, you're looking in there for things to do and you come up with the things to do list and say, okay, I did all those things, therefore I earn eternal life. He said, you have missed what scripture is all about. It is all about me Jesus Christ. Because life is about knowing God. Do you want eternal life? Well, Jesus tells us what eternal life is, and that's what he's came to give us. In John chapter 17, he says, and this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. See, eternal life isn't like going to heaven forever. Eternal life is about knowing God. Jesus Christ and God the Father forever. That is why we are created to be in an intimate relationship with God. It's just not to have the knowledge, but let that become personal. To know God, 
That's a deep word. It's not just knowing about him. It's the word that's used of Adam and Eve when they consummate their marriage. They knew, man, knew his wife. We're talking about intimacy and relationship. That's what God's after. He wants us to have the same relationship with him and one another that he had among the divine trinity from eternity past. A deep love-giving relationship where they knew each other fully. Their hearts beaded with each other. That's what it is to know God. Whenever you do a study, what's the end result? It is to have more knowledge to put into your brain? No, it's to know God in greater ways. And how do we grow in our knowledge about God? Well, we need to know about him. So do learn theology. Learn that God is sovereign, that he's loving, that he's wise, he's gracious, he's omnipresent, he's omniscient. He's faithful, he's just, he's holy. These are all truths we need to know about, but we need to go a step further and really let the Spirit bring them into our lives. Um, If you were trying to find uh, a girlfriend or boyfriend, today very often we go online. And the first step in building the relationship is reading about the person, getting all this information, Uh, you know, what she look like, what does she do, what are her hobbies, you know, what's her aspirations, and, and you learn about the person. And yet you don't, you don't know the person, you haven't even met the person yet. Then you go out on a date and you start to really see those things about the person in real life, if they are real, if they're not real, what they mean, how they show themselves and you start to develop a relationship that deepens and deepens and deepens as you spend time with each other. So learn about God and meet him. And the Spirit of God is the one who brings us to meet God. John says, it is the Spirit who convicts us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. Why? You see, He convinces us, he shows us, I have sinned. And compared to the righteousness of Jesus Christ, I fall far short. And there is judgment. I'm in trouble. See, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to say, cry out, I need a Savior. See, until I say, I need a Savior, I'm not going to accept Jesus as Savior. He might be uh, a master, a Lord, a good, a God, He's not Savior until it cries out. And the Spirit is what takes the truth of God, brings that into our hearts so we are ready to say yes to Jesus Christ. That's how we begin to know him. Then it is, as as John said about the Holy Spirit, it is the Holy Spirit who makes Jesus Christ real. And so, therefore, we are to walk with the Spirit of God, allowing him to not only give us knowledge, but to give us intimacy with him. So, renew your mind. Know God, not just about him. And then thirdly, let the knowledge of God 
warm your hearts. As the two disciples walked on the road, it says, at the end, after Jesus left them, it says, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? See, Jesus opened the scriptures, and they didn't go, that's, that's really neat. I didn't know that before. He opened the scriptures and said, our hearts burned within us. We need to let the word of God filter down into our hearts because that's where love of the heart really comes because it's been informed by the mind, brought us into knowledge of God, and it becomes real to us. Um, again, that is going to be a work of the Holy Spirit. John, uh, excuse me, Paul said, the sword of the Spirit is the word of God. So our end is to be saturated with the word of God so that the Spirit can take it and start to work it into our hearts. Uh, Paul said in Colossians 3.16, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. And if you really, you can parallel that with Ephesians 5.18 that says be filled with the Spirit. And you see those really are one and the same. And so for the Spirit of God to work, we need to richly let the Word of God filter into us. Don't just read through the Bible without opening the Bible and saying, this is, I am meeting with God. God is speaking to me through these words. I need to take them personally in understanding about God and what he wants to say to me today. Um, where I, my personal experience, where God has warmed my heart the most is when I've really looked at the Trinity. And God, in his relationship in eternity past, the love they had in their relationship, their desire to lift each other up and glorify each other. And so, as I ask the questions of God, why? Why did you create? And I look at that, and all of a sudden I see God created me because of who he is out of love. And that's very different than God created me. I'm now in touch with that, that I am the expression of love, and that's why my purpose in life is to love him and to honor him by first receiving his love and glory. And all of a sudden, that's very different than simply reciting the Westminster Confession. Because academia moves into a reality of my relationship with God, why he's created, and I'm drawn to him. I mean, just looking at the church, you know, I've studied the church a lot. I've gone through the Bible and looked at all the, you know, 30-odd plus one another statements, love one another, bear with one another, uh, reprove one another, forgive. I looked at all of those and said, okay, I've got to do these. But when I understood the Trinity and that the church is really to be in relationship with each other just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in relationship to each other, my heart got blown open. 
to realize that I am to be with you like the God the Father is with God the Son. And you hear it from the pulpit. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. Why? Because it's the gospel that's going to melt our hearts in the greatest ways. We ask the question, does anybody care? And we go to the gospel and we see how much God cares. Does anybody love me? And we see God demonstrates his love. While I was a sinner, Christ died for us. Do I matter to anybody? These are heartfelt questions. And the gospel enters in. You say, you don't want to know how much you matter to me? I gave my son for you. Am I alone? I'm raised from the dead. I will never leave you or forsake you. The deepest heart questions are met by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can I trust you, God? Can I trust the God who sent his son for me with the rest of my life? Let the gospel melt your heart. Let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Notice it doesn't say let the word of God richly dwell in you. It says, let the word of Christ richly dwell in you. Why? Because the whole Bible is about Christ. That's what Jesus was showing Cleopas and the other disciple. The whole Bible's about me. You read the Bible, see Christ. He's personal, isn't he? Second Corinthians 4.4 4 says, in the case of those who do not believe, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. You hear those words. The God of this world wants to keep the gospel from you. Why? Because it is the gospel that takes all the truths of God and makes them real. It is what's going to burn God's truth into our hearts. It is the gospel which allows us to not just know about God, but to know him personally. And it is the gospel which can refresh our minds and bust through and apart any worldview that's keeping us under the control of the God of this world. He doesn't want you to know, to apply, to nourish yourself with the gospel. Because that changes everything. And allows us to not just say, I sincerely love God, but allows us to say, I love him with all my heart, all my soul, all my strength in all my mind. Our Father, we thank you for these truths. We ask that you do burn them into our lives and our hearts. Make them real just as your spirit desires. In Christ we pray. Amen.